Okay, so welcome to the PhD Addicted to Research podcast. We're all PhD students funded by the Society for the Study of Addiction, whose aim is to promote the scientific understanding of addiction. We're all in different stages of our PhD. Some of us are just starting out and some of us are writing up. We hope that our experiences can help you whether you're thinking of doing a PhD or have already started it. So my name is Marva and I'll be hosting today's podcast. Um, So I'm finishing my second year of my PhD and I'm researching rumination and alcohol use disorders. And today's topic is going to be on mental health and managing work-life balance during the PhD. So we have two guests today, Chloe and Joanne. So would you like to introduce yourselves? Let's start with Chloe. My name's Chloe. I am due to be a PhD student in September, starting at the University of Bath and looking at the relationship between tobacco, uh, cannabis use and mental health. Um, And I'm Joanne Puddifat and I'm at the University of Liverpool. Um, I'm a second year PhD student and my research is around um, comorbid alcohol and mental health problems. Great, thanks for that. Um, so as I said, today's topic is mental health during the PhD. So personally, um, I found that starting out a PhD can actually have um, a negative impact on my mental health and it was actually somewhat anxiety inducing for me. So I wonder how was your experience of this and did starting your PhD or MRes in your case, Chloe, impact your well-being and mental health? Yep, so... Um... What I'm currently finishing off is called an MRes. So for anyone listening that doesn't know, it's a master's of research. So it's the kind of master's where it's flipped on its head. So rather than having lots of taught modules, you actually have a real focus on research projects and research modules. Um, And I definitely found that um, a massive step up from my undergrad. Um, I think it's really nice because the the design of the MRes is that it's like a stepping stone to a PhD. So you're doing lots of the stuff that you'd be doing throughout um, the setup of your PhD. So things like project design, ethical applications, um, moving then on to like analysis and writing up. So it's a really nice condensed version, but it also means it's really fast paced. Um, so within the first week, we were talking about ethics deadlines, when we were going to submit those, um, a real emphasis on not missing them and the kind of uh, the stress that would cause you further on down the line. So it was a real like shock to the system. Um, and I definitely remember starting out and thinking, oh, I really don't think I've I've got this in the bag. Like, I really don't think I'm cut out. Um, and it wasn't until like a few months in, really, where I realised that everyone was feeling the same. Um, so, yeah, definitely those first few months, I felt a real kind of level of stress um, about starting out. Yeah, right. So I had a very similar, I mean, I, I didn't do an Emirates. Um, I did a master's um a few a couple of years ago then did um a research assistant role for about 18 months and then I went straight into a PhD so it was a little bit different but I certainly um in like the first few months of starting the PhD I just felt because there wasn't any like sort of tangible outcomes or anything so I knew in my head that I was not just not doing anything I was still doing work um but I didn't have anything to show for it. So that in itself, I found a little bit stressful and um, I had to kind of teach myself that actually this is just completely normal. Um, I might not have anything to show for it at the minute, but I will do in the next six months or 12 months, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'd say the first couple of months was kind of just finding my feet with 
with everything and to stop second guessing myself. That being said, I still second guess myself all the time, but uh, I've grown to be a bit more confident in that I know that I'm putting the work in, even if it's not there. Like, I, I don't have anything to hand to show for it just yet. Mm. Um, so it sounds like in both of your cases, it was quite stressful starting out, but you slowly found your feet and sort of started to feel more confident in what you were doing. Yeah. Um, so I want to touch a little bit about on this topic um, of burnout. So when you're not, um, you know, this stress is built up, that can lead to um, burnout. So what do you think might cause burnout in a PhD? Yeah, so I think um, I think doing a PhD is quite easy to get burnt out quite quickly and quite easily because everything's on your terms. You know, if something doesn't get done, no one's going to do it for you. So it's quite easy to think, oh, I'll just do this task now because it needs to be done and I may as well do because I'm not doing anything else with my time. Um, You know, particularly if you're like working from home or say you've got like a free day of the weekend or something. But I think you just have to be quite lenient with yourself. Oh, yeah, lenient with yourself in that you don't need to produce things straight away, but also hard on yourself in terms of making yourself stop and think for a minute like okay does this really need to be done today can I just take the day off you know it's a Sunday or a Saturday can I just take the day off you know and just not think about it um I mean for me what really helped with that was um not checking the emails on my phone I don't have them linked up to my phone um that actually just worked instantly for me to stop me from getting too burnt out from things but um I don't know if you've had a similar uh if, with your emres um Chloe but mm-hmm. th- that was something that I've definitely experienced in bouts yeah for sure that kind of feeling of um if I'm not doing something something must be wrong um I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it's different once you step up to PhD I'm not sure how it's different but um what with it being three and a half years kind of standing at the beginning of that and thinking gosh how am I going to pace myself the whole way through um it's quite a daunting prospect um yeah and I think the waves that you just have to accept that things just come in waves so I found in it's on two years in now and I found there are times where I'm really not there's not loads to do and that's okay because there are other times when there's too many things to do and not enough time in the day or the week um and you will get through it um and it's just trying to like ride the wave to ease that that's such a good one actually because I've seen something describing productivity as a wave and that really fits with my experience as well like sometimes you'll be super busy and other times you'll just be fiddling your thumbs like wondering what you need to be doing and Mm. sometimes that can lead to a bit of thoughts about guilt about not being productive but I think it's important not to be too hard on ourselves during those times um, and just ride the wave like you said yeah I think one of the things um, about trying to not avoid burnout because sometimes there's so much on or something happens in your life that it's just going to happen. But in terms of kind of setting yourself up to ride those waves, um, one thing that I find is when I've got a lot on, I don't do the things that I know help me cope. So, for example, like going for a run, if I've been sat on my laptop all day, I'll be like, oh, no, I'll just sit and do another like 30 minutes. Whereas realistically, if I got up and I went, I'd probably feel much better. But it's that sense of, oh, I've got lots of things to do. 
and then kind of mm. not looking after yourself and not doing those things that you know um, can be really helpful. Yeah, it's so easy to go by the wayside with those things. I'm, I'm the same. I try and do like some exercise at the end of the day to like do things. And I've literally just come out of a really busy period and I was also in the middle of moving house at the same time, which was not fun. <laughs> um and trying to do all of that like literally you know my exercise just kind of went out the window because in my head I didn't have enough time but there's this one particular day where I'd done so much and I just felt knackered and I made myself just go for a walk and then I realized why haven't I been doing this because I actually feel so much better even though I in my head I don't have time to do it but I went back to the house and I felt like my mind was clearer and I actually like, got some other bits done. So I know that, that that's going to help and I'll actually be more productive if I do it. Yeah, that is such a good point that, you know, when you're busy, you tend to think that I don't have time for this. But actually doing those things that help you cope actually yeah. probably improves your productivity and improves your work. So um, maybe those are the things that, you know, if you're sort of feeling like you might be burned out, what strategies can you use to cope with that? Um, you know, for some people it might be exercise, for someone else it might be, you know, reading or meditation or doing something outside of your PhD. So I think those are some really good points about um, how not to, well, how try and avoid burnout and how to cope with it. Yeah. Um, so this kind of leads nicely on to some of the strategies that you can use maybe during your PhD to cope with um, the stresses of the PhD. So apart from what we've already talked about um what other strategies have you used and what other resources have you found available to you um maybe at your university um i think for me it's actually been surrounding myself with people that don't do a phd um as is a quite good one so i like uh yeah like my family members none, none of them have done a phd before um my close friends none of them do a phd um you live your PhD, you know, in, in day in, day out. And sometimes having people that literally have no idea, I don't have to talk about it. I can just have like general conversations where I'm not talking about research or I'm not like saying, you know, talking about an analysis I've done or something like that. And that just completely, completely helps me switch off. And, and yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that's, those are my main ones. On the flip side to that, I think, um, as well as having people that just aren't in that world and, and probably look like they'd rather be asleep when you start talking about your research project for the <laughs> 70th time, um, I think one of the nice things can be having just a group of people to be around that kind of have a sense maybe of, of how it is for you. So like, for example, um, when I was uh, in the midst of my emirates I would often work in like a communal postgrad area and I wasn't necessarily like there with anyone but to be in a space where there are other people kind of working um, and are kind of going through the same kind of schedule as you or the same kind of deadlines felt like a very kind of supportive or like um, I don't know like a sense of camaraderie is like yeah. we're kind of in this together um, and I imagine if you're part of a research group or even just part of an intake for a new PhD year that that can be quite like a supportive feeling to to know that you're in the same boat you know definitely definitely I think it's such an important part having those peer communities um because doing a PhD is a very unique thing mm -hmm. um, and being able to share those problems with other people is really helpful and sometimes people have 
advice that you haven't heard of. So that can be really helpful as well. And I think um, just as we were talking about, you know, these online communities as well, I think, um, you, you know, it's nice if you can have these in person, but you can also have online communities and, you know, through the online coffee mornings that you've been doing, or, you know, you have online invite clubs where you can just sign in and connect with people, you know, across the whole world. So um, just because we're in this current situation right now doesn't mean we don't have access to a community. And I think that's really important to emphasize. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about um, some of the resources you might have had maybe in your universities. Um, you know, if someone is experiencing um, stress or mental health problems during their PhD, what can what services can they access at you at their university? Obviously, this changes from mm. uh, institution to institution, but there might be some similarities. So I wondered if you had any thoughts about that. Uh, yeah, um, at Liverpool, at the University of Liverpool, we've got um, a, a peer wellbeing scheme. Um, so it's so you have like representatives from different you know institutes and things like that. And what they do is they um, they have like three or four people that represent the institute, and they like mental health first aid trained. And what they do is um, they can provide like sort of support and guidance for you know any anyone who is a PhD student. Um, and then they also hold hold the coffee breaks, and so uh, you can like always get in contact with them if you need if you're say you're struggling or. Perhaps you don't feel like you can go to your supervisor or maybe you just don't really have anyone that you feel like you can talk to about things. They've got like a directory of where you can like, you know, see see someone more professional or if you just want to have a chat with someone who's, you know, another PhD student, but maybe might be a bit more equipped to deal with that. So we've, we've got that. Um, I'm not sure if there's, if, if you have one at your, um, your uni, Martha, but... Uh, um, I actually we don't have that setup of peer network per se. We have this system called the buddy system where we're matched with people. Let's say I'm starting up my PhD, I might be matched with someone who's in their second year, and so on and so forth. So we have that where you know, like someone can come to me and be like, "This is the sort of problem I'm going through." But I think it is more informal in the sense that we're not, um, you know, mental health first aid trained, um. But apart from that, we have um, someone called the pastoral tutor in the department. So this is someone that you can go to with anything other than your research-related issues. So, you know, it might be financial problems, um, you know, other aspects impacting your PhD, including your mental health. So that could be, um, in our case, the first point of contact, maybe. And then we also have well-being services um, that cater to all of the students in the university, yeah. How about you, Chloe? I'm not sure about anything doctoral specific. Um, I think maybe I'll hear about that come September. Um, but having already been at Bath, I know we've got a couple of different levels of support. So um, there's kind of a, a lower level, which is just well-being advisors. So it sounds a bit like the peer um, the peer support thing that you have, but mm. um, slightly more general for students in that you can just drop in and you can talk through a specific problem that you're having um, but potentially if that issue goes on for longer or maybe you're finding you're feeling low or anxious more long term then Bath also offers um, 
counselling and mental health support as well. Um, and I think they've even adapted that to be online at the moment. So kind of telephone and video call sessions across all the levels. So that if you need the support, for example, while you're working from home or while you're working remotely, that it's still there as well. Okay, so on today's podcast, we have Vinu, uh, Vinu Gupta, who's from the University of Liverpool. Um, so I guess to start then, Vinu, did you want to start with introducing yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm a PhD psychology student at the University of Liverpool. Um, I'm, so my research area is kind of looking at service user and carer involvement in clinical psychology programmes. Um, but also I've had personal experiences, someone with um, a mental health problem. And so I was really interested in getting involved in the peer wellbeing ambassador role, um, which is about supporting PhD students who have um, maybe experienced wellbeing issues or mental health problems. Um, so the role is kind of about connecting different PhD students together um, as a community and offering kind of peer-to-peer -peer support. So often students will come to us um, with kind of issues relating to maybe research or um, well-being and we'll kind of kind of problem solve them those things together or um, signpost them to services that you know may, might be able to support them. And I know Joe, you kind of are working on this as well with me. Yeah, because we started what was it um, the beginning of September last year and things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a scheme that is rolled out across different institutes. So we have a team for um, the Institute of Psychology and, and Society, and we have one um, with the Business Institute and across the universities. Are there other ways in which um, that, we, that, that the scheme aims to go about supporting PhD students and getting them involved in, you know, working on their well-being i suppose so what we've kind of tried to do is be, be a bit more informal about things so not make things just specifically around themes or around mental health because often people can be quite scared of kind of tackling those issues but i think what we wanted to do was provide spaces where people can talk about these things if they feel safe and comfortable um, so what we do is we have regular coffee breaks um, so we kind of we, we were doing that quite a lot um, previously um, and there was quite a lot of interest from different PhD students who kind of come together um, have a coffee and some cake and you know just have a chat and it kind of brings different disciplines together and we talk about our research kind of the problems that we might be having in terms of our research we discuss how we might go forward with it um, kind of problem solving things for each other and helping each other out I guess and it's it's nice to feel like you belong to like a like a community of other PhD students. Um, so that's kind of one way that we get involved. I think there, there have been um, walking groups as well, haven't there? Yeah, and that's, I, I think we've spoke about before in, in our podcast about um, exercise being quite good for your stress and mental health as well. Um, so in the coffee mornings, I know you mentioned about people, PhD students talking about what's, any issues that they're having with their research and stuff is there anything that has come up about any problems that they're having with their stress and mental health um i guess like often our identities are tied with the phd program that we're kind of working on yeah. and when we experience challenges you know it can we can internalize that and think it's something about how we're how it's affecting us and 
that there's something wrong with our research or that, you know, it's maybe not designed in the best way. And I think a lot of the time when some, some students have expressed like concern over data collection and that's kind of been one of my issues as well about how to recruit people and make sure that they turn up to studies and stuff. And I think that's been a common theme across different um, PhD students. So I've kind of maybe given a bit more informal support and you know, how to problem solve that for people and yeah. discuss that common shared experience of you know the struggles and I think it kind of makes us grow together as a, a PhD community really because we, we kind of go through the same things at the same but at maybe different times but you know we we have an understanding of the challenges that we go through so we kind of seem to look at ourselves as being the problem whereas talking to other people like seems to help highlight that perhaps it's uh not just us yeah you're not just it's not just you you're not alone in those issues like they're quite a common thing to to go through in a phd i think also like when you're on to a phd that like the thing about imposter syndrome and you know you have certain expectations of yourself as a phd student that maybe other people don't place on you but because because the idea of a phd is you feel like it's it's quite a weight and burdensome or that you feel that people think there's certain expectations that come with the role and you're trying to meet those expectations and it can impact your well-being negatively um so i think like through peer well-being um we can support each other in that cool well thanks for chatting with us um and yeah we appreciate it and hope everything goes all right with your with your research um so another topic I want to touch about is work-life balance because having this balance can contribute to you know maintaining your well-being during your PhD. So when I started at my PhD there was another PhD student in my lab setting my office um, and um, a good tip I received from them was to treat the PhD like a job you know mainly 95 weekdays and that was quite helpful for me. So I wonder, um, did you receive a good tip when you started your PhD on, or your research degree, your MRes, uh, Chloe, about work-life balance? Yeah, so um, I have the benefit of knowing someone who's one year ahead of me in the same research group. Um, and it's been really nice to have someone there as just a, a kind of base for advice about starting in the, the weeks running up to it. Um, and her number one top tip was to um, try not to take too much on. So apparently lots of lovely opportunities come up um, so to contribute to things that maybe aren't part of your main thesis project that can be really exciting um, and really tempting to take on all of them but to really make sure to protect your downtime so whether you keep strict hours or not so whether you are a nine to five person or someone that prefers to mix it up between days to make sure there is downtime booked out each week and you protect it like that is your time and try not to let anything um, encroach on it. Obviously, maybe there'll be one or two really important or interesting things come up and maybe from time to time that's okay. But generally to like really <laughs> keep everyone away from that precious time that you've, you've marked off. That was her top tip. Definitely agree with you, Chloe. It's very easy to say yes to loads of things because you think, oh, this is going to be great for my CV or, you know, you don't want to let anyone down. But actually then you realise that it's massively taking a toll on, on your PhD and, and things like that. Um, what I've also found for myself is 
um, when I'm taking a break or on a weekend, um, don't actually do any work. <laughs> um, like it's, yeah. it's so easy, especially if you're taking a break um, at the moment, or if you're, if, for me, if I'm not away like abroad on holiday, I find it really easy to just creep back into not reading emails, but maybe thinking, oh, I'll take this to read on the train to wherever I'm going. And that's not taking a break at all. No, no. Um, so I think <laughs> you need complete break. Yeah, yeah. So when you're taking a holiday, you take a holiday uh, and don't take a book to read or a manuscript to read. Um, yeah. That would be and take tip. a holiday as well take a holiday you're entitled to holiday like depending on you know what university you are that how much time you get is going to change but you will be entitled to some holiday and make sure you book that and I would say talk to your supervisor so they know when you might want to be on holiday just agree with them and have an email signature saying you're away so people don't expect uh, responses from you during that time and especially as a PhD student the the lines are blurry about when to take holiday how much holiday leave you actually get mm, so yeah um, I don't even know what how much holiday we're allowed to take that's really bad um but <laughs> <laughs> that is awful but it, I should probably look into that at Liverpool but um yeah it's it's very easy to not know when to take how much holiday you get so that's one thing to look into before you start, Chloe. Find out how much holiday you get. Um, First thing on my or list. Or to anyone to listening, find out how much you get. Yeah, yeah, very good one. Um, and I think personally, this is not something I've been very good at, but um, it helps if you have something that you're passionate about outside the PhD. I think it's very easy to make the PhD, make your life all about the PhD mm-hmm. because it's a very all-consuming thing. But when you have a job, you're not expected to think about your job all the time or make the job your center of your life, perhaps. So, um, yeah, don't pause your life during the PhD. Your PhD is not your whole identity, I guess. Yeah. What do you do um, in your free time, both of you, so that your PhD isn't your whole life? <laughs> um, I, I do yoga, <laughs> but I don't know if that's like... Um, I mean, it is a passion, but um, it's not a hobby, yeah. if that makes sense. I like to travel. That's one of my favourite things to do. Um, yeah. I'd say that's yeah, probably that's what I would say is my other passion, <laughs> but it's very difficult at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, before we finish, I want to touch a little bit about um, on this topic about working from home and maintaining your well-being whilst you're away from the campus. Like obviously right now this is something that is happening because of the pandemic, but I think this also applies to a lot of people who maybe are distant students or who are part-time students who are not always based on campus. Mm-hmm. So I wonder um, what strategies have you used to look after your well-being during this time when you're away from the university campus? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just really hard, I guess, for with the work-life balance, like working from home. Just no one to to stop. Um, I mean, I uh, initially had a flat which was like a three-bedroom flat. Uh, sorry, one-bedroom flat. So it was just three rooms, and my laptop was in my living room, and it was always there, even when I'd finished up work for the day. And I really struggled with that um, a little bit. Um, 
and I suppose everyone's circumstances are different but since I've moved now um, I have like a separate room to where my, like, my laptop is so I can actually just close the door and I don't see it and it's kind of out of sight out of mind that's that's that what's so really helpful. helped me but I suppose you know other people might be in different situations but I've gone from I mean when I was in the flat I just had to be super I had to be really strict with myself so once the laptop was turned off then that was it for me but mm. what about you Chloe was that similar experience for you um, I have really struggled with working from home. I, I felt my productivity absolutely crash through the floor. Um, even though I had deadlines on, I just couldn't seem to focus properly. Um, and it's going to sound a bit odd, but um, there's been this uh, stuff come out about having office sounds from home, like literal soundboards <laughs> of like, <laughs> office sounds. And it's really helped. Like, I didn't realise, because I'm not someone that listens to music when I work. So if, if I'm just in the flat and it's silent, I really struggle. So I genu- I've downloaded like office sounds to listen to <laughs> when I'm home. And that is what helps <laughs> me. Um, that probably won't work for the majority of people. Um, but you could even like turn up the sound of people typing or turn down like <laughs> chatty co-workers so I turned the chatty co-workers down um and turned up the the background noise of the AC so it that even helped so when we funny. were having really hot weather yeah. <laughs> and I like that you can you can sort of emphasize certain sounds and I think it's kind of similar to that uh, feeling of camaraderie we talked about earlier like feeling that there are other people working um, if you're hearing other people typing, that helps with that feeling. Um, that's a really good tip. I also think as well, like working from home, it, I, so I have the opposite. Where I don't really like working from home, but I've had to get used to it. But I found I'm probably more productive. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, but equally, um, you know, I think that the goalposts differ. It should change based on if you're working from home. So maybe not necessarily expecting that you're going to get the exact same output as you are working in an office. Um, I mean, as I say, for me, I'm, I would say I'm more productive, but equally I'm more tired at the end of the week. Um, I work a bit, quite a lot more intensely. I have no one to stress it. Like, I, I don't have yeah. office friends who, you know, go and have a coffee with or things like that. So, um, yeah, definitely. I think, that yeah, you just have point. to be realistic in what you can achieve when working from home. Mm. Yeah, and perhaps being a bit kinder to ourselves, you know, when you're in the office, if someone comes and knocks on your door, you don't just say, oh, I can't talk to you right now. You know, you might spend five, ten minutes, but especially if you're on your own at home, you don't have that opportunity to decompose for even like five minutes. Mm -hmm. So I think that is really important to manage expectations and also to be kind to yourself when things are not going perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so that's it from us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Thanks Joanne and Chloe for joining us for an interesting discussion on looking after your well-being during the PhD and sharing your tips on how to maintain a work-life balance. Thanks Vinu for telling us about your role supporting PhD students' well-being. This role is specific to the University of Liverpool, so if you need help to support your well-being, do get in touch with your university to find out what support is available. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you for the next episode, which will be aired in two weeks. 
subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss this episode. The music for this podcast was produced by George Verrill. The podcast is run by PhD students funded by the Society for the Study of Addiction. The opinions expressed in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the opinions or official positions of the Society for the Study of Addiction.